0: This series I'm focusing uh, on the idea of friendship. Not necessarily how we're friends with each other, but specifically on the idea that God has established the opportunity to be friends with Him. It's based off of, of, of one verse and a portion of one verse it's a three-part series we started it last week this is part two we'll wrap it up next week with part three but it's based off of one portion of one verse in the gospel of john the fourth gospel matthew mark luke john chapter 15 verse 15. if you're following along with us there's on on, on on a little smart device, there's an app. All the scripture we'll look at is on there. A couple of things I'm referencing today, uh, I want you to take with you. It was on the app. Um, it's also on the screen behind me. It's just, it, this one verse, it, and I, I heard this verse a long, long, long time ago. And it, it just kind of sat there with me for, for a while. It just kind of sat there. Not really diving into it, not dismissing it, just like... Yeah, it's an interesting thought if I, and my mind starts to just kind of like develop stuff in my head. I like my own mind. I like my own thoughts. I can live in the world of my own mind and be quite content. I, I don't need to talk to a lot of people. I don't need to listen to a lot of people. Like I like what happens up here. So it's a good place for me to be most times. And, and so I just started like letting this verse bubble up a little bit. It sounds so simplistic in its reading, but it is so profound in its implication. John 15, 15. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. If we have a relationship with God, By faith, and we've responded in repentance, trusting the work Jesus did on the cross. We move from those who must serve God because he is king into a relationship with God that Jesus calls friends. And I suggest to you that if you have a relationship with God through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, his desire from you and from me is to exist in this relationship as friends. And Jesus says, you're no longer simply servants dutifully doing what you're supposed to do. Now we have a relationship. For I don't demand anything. Just your friendship. So what I know, and I set it up last week, I'm going to set it up again, that God has already proved his love for us. The Bible says that greater love has no one than this, that one laid down their life for their friend. And on the cross, Jesus laid down his life so we could have the rupture of our relationship prepared through repentance and become friends of God. He already proved his love. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah says, God has loved us with an everlasting love. And again in Romans... The Bible says while we were still sinners, while we, while our relationship with God was still ruptured because of our sin, before we had the opportunity to repair that in repentance, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's already proven his love for us. God continues to prove it every day because the Bible also says that nothing In all creation, nothing yesterday, nothing today, nothing tomorrow will ever be able to separate us from his love. So not only did God already prove his love, he continues to prove it every day. And so I believe the Bible. And I know that God loves me. There's no way I can question God. If God loves me, there's no way I can question that God loves me. There's no way I can question how much God loves me. But here's what I can question. Does God know how much I love him? And each of us in the hearing of my voice needs to ask that same question. If you say that you love God. How do we show that we are friends of God? Any one of you here who's old enough to have been in love knows how horribly it feels and how lonely it is to feel as if you are in love by yourself. To feel as though your love goes Unreturned. The fact is you may be in a relationship where you are loved deeply, but if you don't feel as if you are loved deeply, the only and end result is loneliness and despair. Am I right? And the deeper the relationship is supposed to be, the more profound the pain though may be loved to not feel it. I cannot tell you how many marriages, husbands and wives I've talked to where this has been the ongoing case. Where they know they're loved, but they don't communicate it to each other in a way the other one understands it that relationship is supposed to be the deepest and most profound of all human relationships. And even as deep as that relationship is, that pales into compar- in comparison to the depth of relationship we're to have with God. And so I wonder, I know God loves me, but does God know that I love him, or does he exist in this relationship with me as if he loves by himself? Yeah. It's a profound question. How do we respond to God and show that we it, wouldn't you It's not enough to just say that I love somebody, right? Yeah. Like I mean that might start. The whole, but that's not, and it's not like, you know, look, I said, I loved you one time when I married you. Don't expect me to say it again. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, how long is that relationship going to last? Not long. It ain't going to be a good one. And and so rather than just say that I love, and especially the context of rather than just say, I love God. The greatest command of all the Bible, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, like your whole strength. How do you do that? You can't just say it. The apostle Paul said, No eye has seen and no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. And because no mind no eye has seen, no mind can see what God has in store for those who love him, I want God to know. I want to show God that I love him. Why? Because I want to see with my eyes that which has been unseen, and I want to know with my mind that which has not been conceived. And so I want God to know that I love him. Yes, yes, yes. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. Hmm. So how do we show God that we love him? That's more than just saying, yeah, I love him. Yeah. Just to recap, a guy named Gary Chapman, back a few years, wrote a book, Five Love Languages. Some of you all have read it. It's a good book. It's a book, uh, really, that talks about love relationships, human to human stuff, specifically in a marriage between a man and a woman. And in that book, he asserts there are five different ways that we express love. But before he explains those, he sets forth two propositions. The first is this, that in a loving relationship, it must be built on communication. And secondly, the most important thing to communicate is love. But in order for for us to communicate love, we have to communicate it in a way that the one we love hears it, feels it, and experiences it. And so he said there's five different love languages uh, this is quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, physical touch. And at some level, every one of us responds more to one of these or two of these than to the others. And every one of us more naturally gives love in one of these ways. And that's all good and fine. But the challenge is in when we're in a relationship, a deep, loving relationship, with someone who experiences love different than the way we do. See, when, I, when my expression of love is in a way that the person doesn't experience it, what ends up happening is I feel like I'm very loving. And they feel as though they are continually unloved. And so the goal is to learn how they experience it and to change what I do to speak that language so they feel the love that I have. Is it, you understand what I'm saying? And so this series is not about human relationships and love. It's about our lo- God's love language and how to speak his love language so we show him that, yes, indeed, God, I love you. See, we ought not ever neglect the opportunity to show love to the one we love. We ought not put them in a position to have to beg for it. We ought not put them in a position to feel neglected as if we don't love them. All of that is true of our relationship with God. So the goal is to learn to express love in a way that they experience it. And God has told us, He's told us how to love Him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now we got to figure out ways to show it. Does that make sense? You tracking with me so far? Yes. Okay. So in this series, I'm asking our church to make three commitments. We talked about the first one last week. We're going to talk about one today. We're going to talk about the third one next week. But three commitments that we make as friends of God, not as servants, not as slaves, not as dutiful little religious robots that make sure you do this and don't do that. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is responding to the love that God's already showed us and voluntarily saying, God, I'm going to show you that in response to what you've done for me and the love you've given, I want to love you back and I'm going to show it to you. Spending time with him, by serving him, by serving other people, and by giving to further his agenda. And it mirrors the five love, love languages. When we spend time with God, that's quality time and words of affirmation. It's praise. When we serve God's people, that's acts of service and physical touch, like being present. When we give to further God's kingdom, it's gifts. See, don't be afraid to make commitments. Just be afraid about making bad commitments. <laughs> How many of you know it's easier to get into commitment than out of one? Yeah, the moment you say "I do," <laughs> yeah, that's easy to say. It's painful to get out of though, right? So, so uh, see, the old adage goes like this: We make commitments, and then our commitments make us. So commitments are good, just make sure they're good commitments to make. We become whatever it is we're committed to. And so if you want to be a disciple, a friend of God, if you want to become that, we have to make commitments that those do. And so last week I passed out uh, this little commitment card asking for these three commitments. I didn't pass them out again today. They're on the start here booth. You can get them after service if you want. It's on the app. You can look them up. It's all right there. But but I just I I'm, I'm positioning our church to make three commitments: the commitment to spend time with God. That's one of His love languages. And start if you haven't started yet to at least start now, and read through the Gospel of Luke and John now through the end of the year, a chapter a day. I, I I I I listed a, a set of a series of prayers through the Book of Psalms. There's a little half sheet. It's on the app as well. It's on the start here, but pick them up. And to start your day, spending quality time with God, it's one of His love languages. It's how He receives and feels our love. Does it make sense? If you got a relationship with, if you're married, you got a relationship with someone on earth. You got to spend time with them, right? If you're going to have a good relationship, at some point you got to spend time with them, right? I mean, at some point <laughs> you're going to be married. You got to spend some time together. Yeah, at some point, it' no different with God. The second command we're going to talk about today is serving, doing stuff for people. As a friend, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell this story. I didn't ask permission, I'm just gonna tell it. I got a mic, it gives me permission, that's how I figure it. So, years ago, when Sean and I first moved into our house, we bought this barbecue island, uh, and it was in complete disarray. Uh, and Well, it wasn't complete, it worked, it was fine. But it wasn't, it wasn't pretty enough for uh, one of the people in my marriage. Uh, And so, uh, in an effort to rectify and repair the rupture that had occurred between the beauty of the barbecue and the reality of the barbecue, um, one of the people in our marriage decided to destroy the barbecue and rebuild it. Uh, And that process was begun, I believe, in June. Uh, And what it has developed into... (laughs) is a huge project of rebuilding this big barbecue island of which I am completely incapable. We have friends who have intervened in our marriage. Uh, And uh, some of them came over last weekend and retiled the entire thing. We had no idea how to do it. And, and so Robin and Gary Ryder showed up. I got a cement mixer. I got this over there, like laid the cement over the top, milled the forms and put the cement, and then came and put the tile. It's just beautiful. And 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 it was still had to be grouted and all this stuff. Well, yesterday, Robin calls us and says, hey, I'm going to come over and finish the grout on your barbecue island. And so I said, well, that would be great, but we're headed out of town, going to be out of town all day. Can't get to it. Today's not a good day. And Robin said, leave the gate unlocked. I'll do it. By herself, she and my two bulldogs showed up at our house and grouted and the entire thing and finished it. You know why? Because friends who love friends do stuff. Does it make sense? So thank you, Robin and Gary. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, this is a commitment that friends make. And so if we say I'm a friend of God, guess what we do? Stuff. Yeah. I mean, you understand? Yeah. And then the third commandment I'm going to ask you all to make and to commit to is to giving for God's agenda. To increase your time with God, to increase your service of God, and to increase your giving to God through His church, to further His agenda in this world. I mean, if you've been around me any length, that you've heard me say something like this—that giving and love go together. Now we can give without loving, right? We do it. Americans do it one time every year. Do you know when it is? When is it, Lori? April 15th, tax day. When we all give without loving, right? We have to. We're obligated. And though you can give without loving, you cannot love without giving. Can't do it. Cannot do it. And so I'm asking for for us as a church to make these three commitments. Here's the purpose of the financial commitment. I want you to consider over the next two years how much over and above what you already do you will commit to, and here's why. Because I have a friend, I I mentioned this last week, I'm going to tell it again because you need to know. I have a friend that's committed to this church $400,000 over the next, now at this point, two years. $400,000 to pay down our mortgage. We own this entire Maywood Center. We own the whole thing. All these tenants pay us to run their businesses, and we give all of that money away. Okay? Okay. I think we're the only church in America that's got a liquor store and a brewery and a, small, and a couple restaurants and a propane deal giving them money. I think that's a good thing because we send it off to God's kingdom. I don't know if you are clapping because we got a liquor store and a brew house or clapping because <laughs> we're using money to send to build churches. <laughs> I don't want to know. I'm going to believe it's the good kind like you were clapping for. And so... With my friend's commitment of $400,000, he's already given 100, going to give another 100,000 in a couple of weeks. $400,000. If we increase what we pay down the mortgage by $4,000 a month, we shave four plus years, Marcy, off the life of our loan, hundreds of thousands of dollars. What it does is it pays it off within... At this point, Marcy, what, three plus years? Pay the whole thing off in three plus years. And it generates over $20,000 a month that unlike churches with coffee shops and, and water fountains, we send that money to plant churches all over this country all around the world, to angels of grace that rescues babies in foster homes, to pregnancy care center, to youth for Christ, to Guatemala and our academies in the largest urban slum in Central America, to Mexico and building homes and churches there, and to Cuba, that's what we do. Yes. amen. And so that's why I'm asking you, consider all three of these commitments and what part you're, what part yours is to play in those. So take that card. If you haven't got it, go up. I start here, Booth, and we're done. Look, it's on the app. And just pray, Lord, how can I take another step in showing you that I do love you and am committed to your agenda? Amen. Since God created love, the Bible says God is love. He is. Since he created love, he speaks all of these love language. And the only question we have to ask is, God, how do I show you love? God's desire, because he has been so gracious in giving to us, is that we give back to him, not out of obligation, not out of duty, not out of compulsion, but just out of a show of love. So God's love language we talked about last week was quality time. And words of affirmation, praising him for who he is. This week it's acts of service. Physically. The Bible calls that ministry. See, here, here, here's, here's how the Bible talks about acts of service on God's behalf to God's people. When we do acts of service to God's people, we do acts of service to God. That's how the Bible understands this idea of ministry. When we do acts of service and show love physically to God's people, we do acts of service and show love to God. Want me to prove it to you in the Bible? You should always say yes to that because anybody could say anything and they can put it in the Bible. Don't listen to them. I'm going to put you in the Bible. Matthew 25. When the Son of Man, when the risen Jesus, the, Messiah, the when, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, like it's a big deal, he's shown up again. And all the angels come with him. It's a big deal. He will sit on his glorious throne at the culmination of when he establishes physically his dominion over all things. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, let me do a little biblical interpretation for you. Because goat these days means something different than goat in Bible days. In these days, when we talk about the GOAT, what are we talking about? The greatest of all time, right? Like Kenny Stabler, the greatest quarterback of all time. No old school Raider fans in here? I didn't get no, didn't get no love from you people. I got one. Thank you. You're, you're going to heaven. The greatest of all time. Well, that's not what it means in the Bible. In the Bible, it's a bad thing. And the king, the king is going to come back and gather on it, and he's going to put the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, as it were, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance which is the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Let me take a little side note right here. The past two years, our world has been enthralled and fascinated by death. Called COVID. Now, I understand the grief in death. This past year, my family has buried three of us. I understand the grief of death. I understand that people live in the wake of it for quite a while afterwards. But here's, here's what I don't understand. That people who are the very friends of God, that he's proved as an over... He has set up for us an inheritance that he's been working on and building since the creation of the world. This dominion and kingdom that he's going to gift to us. And so when life transitions from this eternal life to that eternal life, there is an inheritance that is handed over to God's kids. This is a good thing. And when God ultimately establishes this dominion and hands over this inheritance that's been prepared since the creation of the world, He's going to say, I'm going to tell you how you inherit this. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick with COVID and you looked after me, right? I was in prison and came to visit me and all the righteous, the sheep are going to say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in and eat clothes and clothes? When did we see you sick in prison and go to visit? The king's going to say, well, truthfully, when you did it for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters am He did it for me. Yes. God. See, when we do acts of service and love to God's kids, mm-hmm. we do it to him. Yes. Here's the problem. First, we, in order to do, we gotta be able to see the need. Mm-hmm. Now that ought not be too hard because there's so much need around us. See, It's not hard to see the need. It's hard to perceive the need, and here's why. All I gotta do is open your eyes, see the need, but it's hard to perceive the need because we're so focused on ourselves. And when I'm focused on myself, I don't perceive your need, though you may be in need. Do you understand? And we're in a culture in a time right now that has changed our view and changed and warped our vision and given us lenses through which we view the world that ask, what can you do for me? And we now have created an environment where we just don't look at each other with a handout. We look to a government for a handout and our constant push is to ask, what can someone else do for me? And as long as that's the case, though there may be great need, we will never perceive it because we're so myopic. Amen. Yeah. Mm. The other thing we've got to do is attach the serving to the family of the king. It is good to go to a homeless shelter. We ought to do that. What the Bible's talking about here, this kind of ministry is attached to God's people through God's church. The king says, come to this inheritance that I've prepared for you, because when you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters of the family of faith, you've done it to me. See, one way that we love and serve Jesus is by loving and serving God's kids specifically those who've repaired the rupture in their relationship with God caused by sin in repentance. Have a relationship with him. We pay special attention to those in the family of faith. And this is one reason it's so important to be part of a local church. Now, flip side helps a lot of people. But flip side is especially good to Flipsiders. Do you understand? We'll help a lot of people. We're not above helping people. But we won't help everybody. But we will help everybody as part of our church. And that's biblical. Every one of us should have a place of service in ministry. So let me just real quickly tell you how to figure out where you fit in ministry. Because every one of you are part of a church, you've got to serve it somehow. You've got to serve its ministry somehow. So I'm going to tell you how to figure that out. You ready? You want to know this? Okay, I know what time it is. You know what time it is. Just sit tight. You've got nowhere that you need to be other than right here, right now. Whatever's waiting for is going to be there when I'm done. They're not going to start the chili cook off without me being there. So let me just walk you through this real quick. I'm going I'm to show God has shaped you. He shaped you. He has shaped you for ministry. Here's how you figure it out. He's, if you have a relationship with Jesus through faith, he's given you a spiritual gift, at least one. Here's what happens. The Bible says this, that when we come to faith in Jesus, God chooses to impart from God to that person a spiritual gift. You're not born with it. You don't necessarily develop this thing. It's not something you're just good at or have a natural ability to. It's beyond all that. It is gifted from God's heart, deposited into you. And every one of God's, who ki- have a relationship has at least one spiritual gift. You might have more. But that spiritual gift is a special gift, God, and and the Bible lists them in Romans 12, 6 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. The Bible lists uh, uh, spiritual gifts. And those are given to God's people for the specific purpose of building God's church in the world. There's all kinds of different, but there's a spiritual gift called hospitality. And some of you have the spiritual gift of, you just don't make stuff look nice and cook good food. You have a spiritual gift of hospitality that God has infused into your life, that your home becomes an oasis, and you use that as an entry point for people to get to know who Jesus is and be a part of his family. It's beautiful. I don't have that spiritual gift. I have the spiritual gift of locking front doors so nobody comes into my house. But some of you have the spiritual gift of hospitality. So, so, I leave the gate open. If you're going to fix my barbecue, the gate's open. Some of you have the spiritual gift of helps. And, 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 and once you came to faith, this thing just exploded in you and you love to help and you, 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 you serve the church by helping and people start to experience the hand of God in your life or in their lives by you. I don't have that one either. There's the spiritual gift of preaching. There's a a spiritual gift of martyrdom. It's the gift you only use once. You get it? I felt like that was a good one, and I don't feel like you really appreciated it. How about this one? There's a gift of celibacy, the gift you never use. (laughs) That's a good one, too. If if you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this has nothing to do with it. I just could. Did, did, did. Have you ever, did you grow up in church and be like junior high and high school and someone talking about spiritual gifts and hear about the gifts of celibacy and just start praying with all your heart, Lord, please don't give me that gift. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> please, Lord, I'll be a martyr if it's just not celibate. <laughs> I don't know. See, I like my own head. I, I like living in here. So here's the thing, like the way you know if you have a spiritual gift, we got all kinds of mentors to help you figure that out. Let us know if you don't know what your spiritual gift is. We'll help you figure it out. But one of the ways you figure out what your spiritual gift is, is just try stuff. Just try. You think you got the spiritual gift? There's a spiritual gift of like music in the Bible. You think you got the spiritual gift to try stuff? I mean, don't try it up on the platform. We don't want to hear it. But just try stuff. Here's the thing. If it's a spiritual gift, you're going to love doing it. Or if it's obviously not doing it, I mean, like it's it's gonna it's gonna fit, and 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 if it's a spiritual gift, other people are gonna love you like the expression of it. And and the third thing, you're gonna be good at it. You're gonna be really 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 good because God's not gonna give you a spiritual gift that doesn't work. Like you're gonna get results. It's just it's it's incredible. But if you like doing something, and nobody else likes you doing it. (laughs) It might be an interest, but it ain't a spiritual gift. Or if you like doing something and your mom says you're good at it, but nobody else confirms that, you got a helicopter mom, but you ain't got a spiritual gift. So last night, we're at Second Sons Brew, and Jeff and Allie are singing, and it was it was so much fun. It was loud, and we were singing along, and it was fantastic. We're having a great time. And they're singing, you know, Sweet Caroline and Brown Eyed Girl and all this stuff. And, man, I was singing. I was belting that stuff out, and I loved it. And for a moment, I thought, this might be a spiritual gift. The problem is, nobody else around my table loved me singing so loud. It was just a good time, but one spiritual gift. Just try stuff. God has shaped you, He's given you a heart, stuff you love to do that you've always loved to do. When you're a little boy, little girl, you love to do It's your hobbies, it's your interests. I've always loved coaching. It's not a spiritual gift. It's just part of my heart. You have the same things. God's given you certain abilities. Like you're naturally good at stuff. I have a son who is naturally good at math. And I do not understand him most of the time. But it's just God has given him this ability. And he's developed it and it's grown. Some of you have those abilities that you're not gifted spiritually with it. It's just an ability that God has put in. Some of you have the ability of mechanics. And you just can fix stuff. And while that may or may not be a spiritual gift, it's certainly an ability that God's given. Some of you have the, the, the ability of nursing. <laughs> Some of you have the ability of making money. I mean, it's just, it's just an ability God's given you. He's given you a shape. He's giving you a personality, maybe an introvert or an extrovert. You recharge your batteries by being alone, recharge your batteries by being with people. You like groups, you don't like groups. It doesn't matter, like whoever, like that personality has been, the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God knit you together while you were in your mother's room. It means literally he put uh, all the DNA together exactly like it should be. You are exactly who he designed you to be. It's part of your shape. He's given you experiences, or he's allowed you to have experiences. Pains, joys, successes and failures, educations, life experiences that have made you who you are. Your singleness, your divorcedness, your marriedness. He's given you experiences, and your experiences are unique. Here's what I love about experiences we've had God even uses the bad ones to shape us for ministry. Here's how I like to say it. God takes the manure of our past and makes it the fertilizer of our future. Amen. Amen. Some of us got a lot to work with. You understand? And the good thing about that is eventually I'm going to have a lot of fertilizer. Right now i got a lot of manure. But God's going to use it to be my fertilizer because He shaped me for ministry. See, God never wastes a hurt. And he used a Sean, it wasn't that good. I mean, I appreciate the love, brother. But my... Yeah, I got a lot of other stuff. I, I'm afraid to say it. I don't know what's going to happen to you. Here, pay attention to this. All this shapes who we are because our ministry flows from our shape. And you need to use your shape and serve other people in the context of the church. Everyone at Flipside needs to serve in some way. If you don't have a place to serve at Maywood or at Stone Creek, let us know. We'll help you find a place. When these things come together in the context of serving in and through the church, it's like we're doing them to and for Jesus himself. Here's the good part. God will not be indebted to anybody. See, some of you have, are so focused on God do this for me without ever doing something for one of God's kids. And the way you get God's hand to move on your behalf is by moving your hand on behalf of someone else. Amen. Because he will not be indebted to anyone. So when we serve each other, we're serving him. And because we are serving him by serving each other, he will not be indebted and he will respond in greater kind. You need to serve. Being healthy and being happy has to do with serving other people. When our two youngest sons went away to college in two different states, that's oftentimes a lonely time. And if you have children that have moved away out of home, especially early on, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a very lonely time. And one of the things that we did with both of our younger ones when they moved out was we took them to church and we made sure they, they got connected to a church because you've got to be around other people. And then we encouraged them to serve, to get out of their own homesickness. And one of my sons had been serving the sixth grade Sunday school class at his church for three years. He's transitioned pretty well. Here's the truth. None of us want to be forced to ask the one we love to love us. We want them to voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Amen. God will not demand service of us. Mm-hmm. Christianity will not demand its people to pray Through certain beads during the day. Christianity will not demand its people to go on mission trips once they reach a certain age in their life. Christianity will not demand a liturgical reading through any prayer book. Christianity is not built off of religious obligation. It's built off of a loving response. See, demanded service is servitude. Voluntary service is love. And God wants the love of friends, not the servitude of slaves. The Bible has said the greatest love is to lay something down. The greatest command is to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so my question today is how are you showing God that you love him if you say you do? Caleb, come up here. Don't be afraid to make a commitment because your commitments will shape you. Just make sure they're the right commitments. And I'm telling you right now, friends, the right commitments for you to make is increased time, quality time with God, increased service of God's people, and increased generosity for God's kingdom and agenda. Those commitments will shape you. Here's the thing. If we want to be a friend of God, we must commit to what friends do. And friends spend time, and they serve, and they give. Do you understand? Do you understand? I'm going to tell you right now, the key to your joy is making commitments to God and serving God's people. Because those two things have nothing to do with you. They have to do with God and other people. And those two things are the fulfillment of the greatest command. Do you understand? The church that spends time with God, that serves and that gives, is a church not of obligation and not of religiosity. That church is a church of joy. And those who are spending time with God and serving and giving find joy in the house of the Lord. Do you understand? Father, thank you that you've loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that there's nothing we could do yesterday, today, or tomorrow that will ever separate us from your love you that you've proved your love for us time and time and time again, thinking that you've given us the power and the will and the opportunity to respond and show that, yes, indeed, we do love you, not just to say it, but to do it. Father, there are some in this place who are making commitments right now to spend time with you. There are some in this place that you're speaking to and they're on the ver- they're making commitments right now to serve you in some way by serving your people and your agenda there are some right now that you're talking and gently nudging to give to you a portion of what you've given to them father i pray in the name of jesus That you would encourage them to make those commitments. And as they make those commitments, they would find your joy. They would find your power. They would find your purpose. They would find that what they have now is joy. Because it's exactly who you shaped us to be. Father, we love you. And we give ourselves to you. In your name I pray, amen.